0: Well, good morning, Mark. Thank you. It's, um, <clears throat> I, I've been a Beast in Divinity School now for 18 years, which is hard to believe. And uh, so I'm getting paternal as I get older with my students and graduates that go off. So seeing Mark now in his natural habitat, and believe it or not, I taught Wayne back in the day and Mary, and it's kind of wild. And I'm always glad to be near what I think is the most impressive baptistry I've ever seen. Um, I've told Wayne before he should stock it with trout, but he hasn't listened to me that on that yet. Anyhow, let me read um, to you from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Um, Before I do that, big thanks to Joel and the worship team this morning. It's beautiful. That Christ, Our Only Hope, listen to that song during the week, the little Heidelberg Catechism. That's for my world. So that's good. I appreciate that. All right, let me read uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. So remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, not your animals or the alien or foreigner that's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested. On the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now, O Lord, I pray that in this hour that we have together, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to understand your law. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We we live in the rhythm of time. We, we can't escape time's forward movements. For for many of us, if it looks anything like the Genellette house, our days can be pretty predictable in their basic structure. And I think there's a kindness, by the way, in this predictability. Here's what it looks like in our house. You awake. You get the kids up, that's a chore in and of itself, you drop them off at school, then you get into the office, and, and you know the routine. We do that in and out, kind of a groundhog's day sometimes of our existence. This predictability, though, can lull us to sleep and can cause us to lose a sense of time's tyranny in our lives. It's forward movement. Even right now, we know that the seasons are about to change once again. The coolness of the fall is around the corner. And though all of us have experienced that one morning when you wake out and it catches you by surprise, when we do it again, it will be something new. And in the newness of the season comes the reality of of times forward March. Now, I see some Gray hair in here. More gray hair in the nine than this today. Eleven. I see some gray hair in here. Many of you now know what it's like to look at at your twenties and see that a whole decade of your life as a unified block of time. We'll say things like this: In my twenties, I did something like this. Now, what you experienced in your twenties was thick and textured. It was the painting of your life coming to be with all of its beauty and complexity and tragedy. Lots of tragedy in your 20s. But now from the perspective of gray hair or thinning hair, uh, that whole decade can be viewed as a single block of time. My 20s. Something about time. It's our friend and it's our foe. Even children can tap into its complexities. My little girl, Mary Grace, who's here this morning, just the other day in a moment of youthful brilliance said, Dad, when you really want something to happen, time seems to slow down. But when you don't want something to happen, it speeds up. Have you ever noticed that, Dad? I smiled when she said that. She was stumbling onto one of the great mysteries of the universe. The clicking of clocks. The tolling of bells. Tell us something about how we experience time. It just keeps moving forward. Moving towards what we ask. And that's the part that we all know the answer to, but we don't want to say. Because time testifies to our limitations. Time tells us that our mortal lives are coming to an end. As the British poet W.H. Alden says, time will say nothing but I told you so. And this is why God gifts us with the Sabbath. The Sabbath only makes sense in the movements of time. Six days God created, and on the seventh day he rested. The Sabbath, or our Lord's Day, is a, it's a weekly stop sign. It's a flashing yellow light in the fast-paced movement of your life that tells you to slow down and to think about something very important, about yourself, about your God, and about your ultimate destiny in this world. So in our next few minutes together, I want to make a few observations about the Sabbath, four of them if you're counting, and then return to this question about our place in time, and then we'll pray and head on home. So a few comments. Number, number one, of all the commandments, and we know these ten, they're familiar to us, but of all the commandments, the, the, the Sabbath commandment is it's probably the most controversial. That's the one that's like, let's just jump over that one and get to the honor of your father and your mother. As a parent, I really like that one. I mean, as you're all aware, the Sabbath, strictly speaking, was yesterday, uh, the seventh day of the week. Sunday, today, or the Lord's Day, is, is the first day of the week. And the way in which Christians move from Sabbath to Sunday, it's a kind of complex thing, actually, within history. But what is the Sunday all about, this first day of the week? Christians gathered for worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday because Sunday, I'm not sure if you think about this when you come to church on Sundays, but Sunday is a little Easter gathering every week. We were celebrating Easter today. And Easter, which celebrates the resurrection of our Lord, brought all of the future promises of God right smack dab into the middle of time. So what most Jews thought would happen at the end of time has happened in the middle of time in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we await the day when Jesus will return and consummate all those promises in his kingdom. So all of that to say, our Lord's Day worship, what we do together right now, in this hour today, assumes the principle of the Sabbath, and it attests to its continuing validity in one way or another. Jesus is the Lord of time. I'm going to avoid some of the sticky stuff about the Sabbath this morning and simply say that God every week invites his people into the joy of rest with him, a ceasing from our labors, and an attention to uh, the worship of God. That's why, if you heard the commandment carefully, it says, Remember the Sabbath day and make it holy, set it apart. Make it distinct from the other days as a day that's given to God and to God alone. That's number one. Number two this morning. The Sabbath also shows us that we're not defined by our work. We're defined primarily by our life and our movement toward God. So if someone forced me into a corner and said, all right, Genelette, give me a tweet on the Sabbath. I wouldn't be a fan of that, but give, give, give me a tweet, 120 characters or less. I would say the Sabbath exists so that we know that we are not our own, but we belong to God. That's why the Sabbath exists. And our work, which is so central to our identity, think about the ways in which we introduce ourselves in social settings. It goes, hi, um, what's your name? My name's Mark. What's our second question almost in every setting? Well, tell me, Mark, what do you do for a living? We think of our work as related to our identity, and, and rightly so. Uh, I, I talk this way with, with my children when I'm lucid. And trying to, I've got one son who's a senior and about to move off into life, and we don't want him to live in our basement forever. Um, So we're talking to him about his future. And this is one of the great gifts of the Reformation that theological um, uh, uh, history and tradition that's even given rise to your own church. And one of the great gifts of the Reformation is it kind of pressed against this distinction between clergy, the holy people, and the lay people that did menial work. The, the reformers emphasize that all of God's children have a vocation, a calling. So if you're in law or medicine or commerce or in education or you fill in the blank, from a Christian theological perspective, that's your calling to live into for the glory of God. It's not, it's, it's, it's what God has called you to be and to do. So I'm, I talk this way with my, my kids and we want them to think not just about filling their bank accounts, but what has God called you to do in this world of service for him. And the Sabbath is a reminder to you and to me that our work, our vocation, it's not an end unto itself, but it's a means to a greater end namely, the glory of God and my life for God. And can I just say as an aside, I think this is the Christian struggle. If you want to enter into the dynamics of Christian existence and what it means to struggle with our faith, this is the struggle that I think we have until the day that we breathe our last. Namely, how do I keep the good things like my work or my family or my play or my pleasure how do I keep the good things that God has given me from becoming ultimate things, replacing him? That's the challenge. Because if left on autopilot, we will take the good things that God has given us and we'll make them ultimate time and time again. Last uh, Two weeks ago, you shall have no other gods besides me and don't make any graven images. I mean, right out of the gate, we're recognizing in the Ten Commandments that our tendency is to craft anything that we can And turn it into a God that we will bow down and worship and believe in. And the Sabbath as a moment in time, a weekly reminder for you and for me that we weren't made ultimately for ourselves or for our work as an ultimate end. But those are all uses, good gifts that God gives us to drive us toward him ultimately and finally. The Sabbath is a gift for us in that sense. Number three. The Sabbath is for our good. Now, I think we can sometimes, especially I can think of children on their, or teenagers on their way out of the door in the morning to church, like, ugh, you know, here, here we go again to church, right? So I understand that, that the church part and coming together can be a burden, and we recognize that, but it's really from the perspective of the Bible meant to be a gift to us. You remember Jesus has this debate with the Pharisees and he says, uh, let me ask you a question. Was man made for the Sabbath or was Sabbath made for man? The answer to that is "It's Sabbath was made for man, it's God's gift to us, it's part, part of his goodness to us. Because it's a gift for you and for me to see beyond the confines of our human limitations to the greater good of our existence. We need uh, to be reminded if there's a book of the Bible that to me seems so apropos for our moment in time I mean it's like this book was written yesterday um, it's the book of Ecclesiastes um, and, the, and Ecclesiastes by the way is um, obsessed with the question of time uh, there's a time to be born there's a time to die Ecclesiastes 3 a time for war and a time for peace, a time for laughing, a time for sorrow. Ecclesiastes is obsessed with time. And what Ecclesiastes is, is a book where an older man, Solomon in his old age, basically putting his arm around the younger people around him saying, listen, I've lived some life, let me give you a little bit of my wisdom if you're willing to listen to me. Let me tell you something about life under the sun. Here's life under the sun. It's vanity of vanities. Here's your Hebrew term for the day. Um, hevel Hevelim. Well, what does Hevel Hevelim mean? English translations say vanity. The NIV in your pew says meaningless. What does it mean that the preacher, the, 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 the ecclesiast, is telling us that all of life is vanity or Hevel? Um, several years ago, gosh, maybe a decade ago now, I was doing some lecturing at a seminary in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I arrived at the lectern, I looked underneath the lectern, and there was an ashtray there with a cigar butt in it. I'm like, well, that's not something you see in every seminary. So I asked somebody, I said, what, what's up with the, with the cigar? And, and, they, and they named a pretty big-name Old Testament professor that was there the week before lecturing on the wisdom literature. And apparently when he got to Ecclesiastes, um, and he wanted to illustrate for them what Hevel Hevelim was, vanity of vanities, meaninglessness of meaninglessness. He pulled a cigar, I just love this, out of his pocket, bit the end off like Columbo, lit, lit the cigar, and began to draw on it, and he blew out smoke. And when the smoke went out, he pointed to it and he said, Hevel. It's a metaphor. Smoke wind. What do you think of when you hear that the preacher in Ecclesiastes telling you that your life and life under the sun is about the chasing after wind, trying to grasp smoke? What does that tell you about our existence? I mean, it's a hard thing. I mean, the the Ecclesiastes, at the end of his life, is forcing you to look into the mirror of your human limitations forcing you to ask some hard questions. And he's telling you, listen, I've got to tell you something, especially from the perspective of old age. It flies by. It's like smoke. It's here, and then it's it's gone. It's like an hourglass that you flip over, and you watch for a while. But then at some point in time, the hourglass begins to to have a dip in the sand. And before you know it, once you see the dip, then the sand is gone. And, and the preacher wants you to know that's unfortunately like your life. It's It's here and then it's gone. It's the grass that grows up one morning and then it's gone the next morning. And not only is your life um, ungraspable in in terms of its fleeting character, there's another feature of life that seems ungraspable. And this is, I mean, I'm going to get a little heavy with you for a second, if we haven't already been, a little heavy. It's also ungraspable in the sense that it's very difficult, if not impossible for us to extract all of the goodness out of this life that we experience. I mean, think about the greatest moments that you've had over the past, let's say, year. What stands out for you over the past year as like, that was a great moment? There's a recognition that even in those good moments in life, it's hard to really press through to extract the fullness of what it is that you're experiencing. Whether it's with a loved one, whether it's with somebody who's passing, and they're older, and you realize, like, I've got to be able to grab more, but I, I can't grab more. I just can't press into it any fuller. All of that, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is telling you witnesses to something about the character of your life. It's, it's fleeting. It's ungraspable. But we can't press all of the juice out of it that we really want to grab out of it. We, we are limited in our humanity. And that sounds really depressing, except for the fact that Ecclesiastes ends with basically a Sabbath principle. So when all is said and done, when you recognize honestly the limitations of your human existence, that you are Hevel, Hevelim, it is chasing after wind, nothing can be grasped and held onto. If that's true, then what are you left with? And the answer is you're left with God. With God and his beauty and his glory and his love, And his grace shown to you in his son, the promise of a future and a promise that the limitations of your humanity don't describe you in full, but only in part. Sabbath is a gift to you and to me. It's a a kindness of the Lord to let us see our human limitations. We are caught in the vortex of time, and yet... We're not defined by that time. We're defined by the God who's with us in time and waiting for us outside of time for the new heavens and the new earth. Which brings me, if you've been counting, to my last point, number four. The Sabbath helps us keep the future in view. It helps us keep the future in view. Why, according to Exodus 20, are we to enjoy the Sabbath? Because God created on six, with, in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Have you thought this? That is a strange way to describe God, right? Um, you know, it's, it's not as if God is like, oh, boy, okay, I've got the moon and the stars sorted out, deep breath. Now the water and the dry land have separated those. Now I'm beginning to fill it with vegetation, you know, um, a man I've just built man I breathed into him 6 days are over that was exhausting I mean that that's not the picture that we have of the God of the Bible he's not exhausted needing to take a little break from the hard work that he just did during the 6 days what does it mean that God enters into the 7th day it means that his creative activity is over and he oversees all of creation from his place in the seventh day. I'm gonna get a little academic-y with you for one second. Hang with me. The great, some of the greatest theologians in the history of the church has have emphasized something about God and the seventh day. And they said something like this: Adam and Eve were not created to remain in the garden. In fact, if all had gone swimmingly with Adam and Eve, And it had gone according to plan. And they never ate that fruit. The tradition says that in time, God would have received them into the seventh day of his existence. In other words, there was even future hope within the Garden of Eden itself. So the seventh day is the future of our rest with God as he rests from his own creative work. It's the space and the time from which God operates. And he is inviting us to taste and to smell of that time even now on Sundays. We're pilgrims. We're made for a fuller and more perfect form of human existence. An existence where our lives will live in complete freedom and harmony with God and with our neighbor, its music and its joy. Some of the philosophers from the early 20th, late 19th century um, would talk about the impact that music can have on human suffering. Maybe some of you have experienced this. With whatever musical form you like, bluegrass or whatever, Um, my wife and I stumbled across some Chopin and Rachmaninoff piano symphonies this past week on YouTube, and we were like, Uh, that's special, right? Because music is a moment where in the finitude of our human existence, in certain musical encounters, you can sniff and engage the transcendent. It's like the skies open up, you enjoy it, but guess what? Even that's Chevel Hevelim, because at some point in time, the concert comes to an end, and it closes back up, and then you're back to Monday morning again music, singing, coming together in worship, confessing our sins, all of these things intimate for us when we come together for worship, our true existence and our ultimate destiny. We were made for God and for God alone. We've been made for more. We've been made for God. I know it's almost a bumper sticker. It gets quoted so much, but First paragraph of St. Augustine's famous confessions, late 4th century A.D., he tells us that we're restless until we rest in him. The Sabbath, our Lord's Day together, is a moment for you and for me to exhale in the midst of the frenetic activities of our lives, to take a deep breath in and then a deep breath out to recognize, okay, I'm not defined by my work I'm defined by my relationship with God and my future with him. Our future time breaks in on us on Sunday mornings and tells us of our hope for another time and another place. I don't know, I know some of you in here this morning. I don't know many of you. But I imagine that for many of you, um, if we were to ask you to to choose a word to define your life, or choose five, um, rest might not be one of them. In, in fact, let, let's just be honest. In most of our encounters with one another, in our friendships, and our families, the thing that we say most often probably is, I'm really, really tired. I'm exhausted. I mean, just keep, especially for those of you with little kids running around. I mean, it's, it's exhausting. The, the frenetic pace that we've hoisted onto ourselves. It's like some sort of self-flagellation. It's crazy what we do to ourselves. And yet in the middle of that, whether it's rest and, or, or, or busyness or tiredness or, or the burden of anxiety, um, uh, the, the, the fear and the struggle of the unknown in light of our cultural moment, our global moment, we're in a wild time. All of this can weigh heavily on us. And rightly so. Understandably so. I don't think as Christians we don't get a Buddhist option to escape human existence. I just don't think we get that. You get to live right in the reality of time and all of its complexity. With a view, though, toward future hope and the ultimate promises that God has made for us in Jesus. And when we come together on Sundays to worship, to praise, to sing, to confess, this is our moment to exhale and to inhale and to recognize that God is drawing us to himself and our hearts are restless until they ultimately find their rest in him. Amen.